We be live. Let me know how the audio is. We're going to be answering patron questions. If you want me to answer your questions, become a patron today. Link in the description. If you want to come talk to me live and air, you can become a member. We have a new member here, Liju. Liju is a new member. Thank you for becoming a member. Oh, hey. Um, Gossam is here. Hey, Iranian atheist. Back at you, Gossam. You're also an Iranian atheist. Hi, D. Hi, Soha. Hi, everyone. How's my audio? All right. So we have a whole bunch of Patreon questions. I'm going to answer them. And after that, I'm going to post a link to anybody who's a member who's interested in maybe coming in and talking to me live on air. If you are a YouTube member, again, this is a smaller channel compared to Atheist Republic. So we don't have that many members. But if you are interested in talking to me live on air, this is a better channel than Atheist Republic because it's less crowded here. And you would get you would be able to have a lot more one-on-one -on -one here than Atheist Republic. Okay, Soha is confirming that the audio is great. Um, okay, let's get to the Patreon questions again. The way this works is that we post a link to the stream uh, a day or two ahead of time on our Patreon account on Secular Jihadist Patreon account, and patrons will post their questions under it, and I will answer them. And if I don't know the answer, we will figure it out here together. Okay, cool. Soha is confirming that the audio is great. Look at this. Soha is amazing. Look at this. Soha is confirming that the audio is great on uh, YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitch. Soha is like everywhere that we're streaming, she's there and making sure that the audio is good all in all these places. Soha, you're, you're amazing. I don't know what to do. Okay, thank you, Soha. All right, so let's get to the first question. <clears throat> Rob is asking, do most Muslims outside the Arab world have access to translations of the Quran in their native language? Well, yeah. I mean, even before the internet, I remember in Iran at least, every single Quran that I remember seeing had Persian translation of the Arabic written right underneath the Arabic or to the side, either underneath it or on the side page, right? So I didn't I don't even remember seeing a Quran that didn't have a Persian translation. So I mean I, but that's even before. Right now everybody has access to the internet. So how could it be possible that they don't have access to the translation? It, so but I don't know if it's in other places like I don't know in Indonesia when you go buy a Quran does it have the translation underneath the Arabic, because that, that's how it was in Iran. Um, I'm assuming they do, like, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. The idea of the Quran needs to be learned in Arabic, it would be better that you learn it in Arabic, but it's not mandatory. It's not like the situation that it was with the Catholics and the Bible being only Latin. And until Martin Luther King translated it into German, which was like a big no-no for the Catholic Church. I don't think it was like that. I mean, maybe it was originally like that for Islam as well. But they make it seem like it was never like that. Like, that, the message is that if you, re, if you learn Arabic and read the Quran in Arabic, you would have a much better understanding of the Quran. But they don't say that... It is mandatory, right? Like you, you could, because they want to make sure that the Quran is accessible, right? 
Wait, people are saying YouTube is not working. YouTube is working. I'm seeing YouTube is working. All right. All right. Um, hmm. I don't know what you're saying. Okay, I'm looking at YouTube secular judges right now, and it's working. All right, what was I saying? Um, YouTube is fine. Great, thank you. Yeah, I'm now I lost my train of thought. Oh, so, um, but now with the internet, not only you see the translation, you could see the root of the verb. Like you could, like, if I go to Quran.com, like for example, I could click on. I could like I could do some crazy math equations like oh this word it means this and this these are the roots and this is the format that the root was this is the root of these are the root, three root letters and this is the format that it is this is how many times in the Quran this book word was used this is the context in which these are the other meanings that it had in different places in the Quran and then you, you have access to so much information like, you know in, in every language right like you could not only you can see the chat like for example if you're a pakistani muslim not only you can see the translation of the quran into urdu you have access to a like a ocean of analysis and um commentary in your in urdu or like or in persian or in i don't know malay um that that you have that you could like so not only you have the translation you could read like the commentary on this quranic specific quranic verse all the hadiths that are related to that quranic verse in your in your mother language yeah so it's quite extensive like the the amount of information that is available right now to muslims about the quran and the hadith and the sirah it's it's you know and that's that's partly why we're getting a lot more ex-muslims um yeah because i don't know like having the quran that's accessible means a lot more people are going to be like well i have an issue with this verse like more people more muslims around the world are potential uh, are in a position to be able to read the quranic verses and have an issue with it also the commentary on the quranic verses makes it clear that a lot of these verses are not as or mild or lovey-dovey as reformers make it seem like, right? Because there are, each Quranic verse comes with a lot of commentary by, by scholars for the past 1,200 years, right? So if somebody wants to claim that the Quranic verse that tells you to beat your wife doesn't mean that it, it it's not actually telling you to beat your wife, well, it, that's a ridiculous suggestion because you have access to 1200 years worth of scholarly um islamic scholars commenting on it and analyzing the bejesus out of it and you can see like none of them uh, interpreted that verse on, in, in anything other than beating your wife so if you're one of those new reform muslims that tries to keep islam but also have modern moral standards it's going to be very difficult now because you have access to all this sea of information that suggests that these Quranic verses actually mean are as horrible as they sound like. Ghassan <laughs> is saying, I think it's Azra Bahunna. Azra Bahunna means fresh kiss. Yes. It's 
Oh, yeah. So this is the part of the Quranic verse that is telling you to beat your wife. Uh, and the key verb here is azrabahunna. Okay. And it's very clear that, that it's talking about beating your wife. But it's the, the reason why this is a joke is because so many reformist Muslims have been trying to make it seem like this verb means something else, right? So a lot of people who want to make fun of them uh, to show how ridiculous they are, they come up with like, oh, no, Vazrabona means like, maybe it means you tickle your wife, or maybe it means like kiss her, maybe it means like take her on a date, like, because we're making fun of people who are trying to reinterpret the Quran. <clears throat> Um, yeah, D is saying they're whitewashing the English version, uh, beat your wife to chastise your wife. Okay, but like the other, the, the other translations are there. Like, I don't know, like you have to be very narrow in your research to be able not to see what the actual meaning is. Um, yeah, somebody's saying strike became strike lightly became light tapping <laughs> okay you know what actually i i it's good that there's a hadith that says that the way that you need to beat your wife is lightly okay because if that hadith exists and people are trying to use that hadith as like hey this is not all that bad what they're doing with that hadith is that they're confirming that this is about beating okay because a lot of reformers try to like oh you're taking it out of context this doesn't mean beating but the context that is supposed to make this verse better is a context that is telling you that, okay, maybe don't blacken her eye or like don't beat the crap out of her. Like just like slap her or something, right? So like, okay, that's your defense. Good. You're confirming that this is the verse that is about wife beating. Anyways, I spent so much time in here. All right, Gusale is asking, what do you think about the guy that was arrested with a gun at Masih Ali Najad's house? Okay, 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 okay. This is, I don't know if you guys know, this is, and this is not deja vu, okay? This, ha this is the second time that this is happening. This lady over here, I don't know if you, I think you guys know who she is, right? Like most people on this channel know who she is. Masih Ali Najad. I'm going to read the article for people who don't know. Okay. Wait, this is not the best article for this, is it? Hold on, let me see. Yeah, actually it is. Okay. So this lady, for the second time, for the second time, somebody approached her house to apparently to murder her, right? Somebody... Friendly Muslim is complaining about the camera quality, but I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. There is no guy. Thank you so much for looking at this cover. This is kind of funny. <laughs> okay. It's good. Okay. Good. All right. Let's get back to the question. Okay. So Gusale is asking, what do you think about the guy that was arrested with a gun at Masih Ali Najat's house? Okay. So this lady, she was, um, a second time in the United, this is an Iranian American woman. For people who don't know, she is the biggest um, annoyance to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Okay, so she has been responsible for mobilizing a lot of dissent of Iranians, especially women, against the Islamic Republic of Iran. And apparently, the Iranian regime 
wants her dead. So this was the second time somebody showed up at her house in New York trying to murder her for her activism. Okay? So let's read. Yeah, CNN interviewed her. I know. Yeah. Anyways, let's see what happened. Um, a man was arrested on Friday after he was found with a loaded AK-47 assault rifle outside the Brooklyn home of an Iranian-American journalist who was the target of an international kidnapping plot said to be orchestrated by the Iranian by an Iranian intelligence network uh, last year. According to the journalist, uh, uh, wait, last, according to the journalist, a court document and a person briefed on the matter. Right? Okay. The journalist Masiali Najar, 45, has been outspoken in her criticism of the Iranian government, writing two years ago that Iranian officials had unleashed a social media campaign that called her, uh, called for her abduction. Right. So last time they tried to abduct her and take her from the United States to Venezuela, and then from Venezuela to Iran, okay? By the way, guys, I don't know if you can appreciate this. This is pretty crazy. This is like, is this not a declaration of war? This is the Iranian regime, like, twice trying to do operation on American soil. Like, this is pretty bold, okay? Like, it's one thing for Iranian regime's terrorist groups to do things in the Middle East, but when it comes to Masih Alinejad, they have been bolder than usual like i know iran does a lot of terror iran's regime does a lot of terror activities in the middle east i know do they do some in europe but for them to go all the way to america and do this on u.s soil i mean i'm surprised that the retaliation to iran hasn't been bigger right um yeah gossip in the live chat saying islamic republic used to eliminate its opposition directly in the first couple of years, but recently they hire people from other countries to let him do the dirty work. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's read that actually. Writing two years ago. Okay. Uh, in a federal in, uh, wait, uh, indictment unleashed a year ago in Manhattan, four Iranians were charged with conspiring to kidnap her and force uh, forcibly return her to Iran. Okay, so this was last year so they last year they tried this and now they tried something so this is a new case right in the new case law enforcement observed a man khalid mehdiev okay so here's the key thing like Qasem was saying in the live chat that's not an iranian name this guy is not iranian okay yeah d is saying foiled again yeah second attempt second attempt failed uh, failed again by the but but the problem is that this dude khalid guy was such an amateur. Like, let's read. Let's read what happened because I don't understand who decided to hire this man because he wasn't very good at, what, at his job. Like, I don't understand. Like, can the Islamic Republic of Iran not afford better assassins? Be okay, let's read. Like, it's really pathetic. Okay, let's read. So, uh, observed the man Khalid Mehdiev behaving suspiciously near Miss Alinejad's home over two days last week, according to a criminal complaint filed in Federal District Court in Manhattan on Friday. On Thursday morning, the complaint said that um, said Mr. Mehdiev, Mehdiev, sounds like a Russian version of an Islamic name. It's weird, Mehdiev arrived outside her home in a gray uh, Subaru 
okay, SUV with an Illinois license plate and remained in the vicinity uh, uh, for several hours during that time. He, oh, look at this. During that time, he ordered food to be delivered to the car. The guy was like an assassin with an AK-47 in his car sitting there trying to watch Marcella Nijal and like trying to like, I don't know, um, murder her or something. And the guy orders food while waiting in his car. Like the guy just like chilling there. And just he orders delivery. He orders delivery. Okay. He ordered food to be delivered to the car, approached the residence, appeared uh, to try to peer inside the windows and attempted to open the front door. Uh, the complaint said the guy just walks to the front door in front of all the security cameras with his face showing, just trying to open the door. Like, I don't understand. This guy is like, yeah, dark coin left just saying is embarrassing. Like who hired this guy? Does this guy have any experience doing what he does? And why guys like you, the Islamic Republic of Iran is now selling drones to Russia. Okay. They're selling drones to Russia. And they're like, why can't they afford? Like, this is, I mean, I don't know. This is very suspicious. Why would the Islamic Republic not hire somebody that is more competent? Okay. It continues. The police found a suitcase on the rear seat of the car containing the AK 47 with an uh, ob oh, obliterated serial number. Oh, the guy changed the serial number on the, on the gun. The complaint said the rifle was loaded with a round in the chamber and a magazine attached along with a second separate magazine and about 66 rounds of ammunition. The rifle had markings showing it was made by Nuriko. Okay, I don't know. I didn't need to know when the gun was made. The complaint does not identify Mrs. Alinejad, uh, an American citizen, but she said in a phone interview on Sunday that she was told by the authorities that the man in question was outside her house. She also said she had home security footage showing him outside her door, front door. Look, this is him. Look at them. He just walks over. To, like, he just walks over like, hey, hello. I'm here to assassinate somebody. I had my lunch. Are, are you here, Miss Ali Najad? Are you ready for your... Okay, wait, can I say these things? I, I have to be careful. I'm just reporting the news, YouTube, okay? It's ridiculous. So... Okay, Masih Alinejad is saying, I came here in America to be safe, she said. First they were trying to kidnap me, and now I see a man with a loaded gun trying to enter my house. I mean, it's shocking. Miss Alinejad says she and her family have since moved to a safe location. Uh, Mr. Mehdiev, who was charged with one count of possessing a firearm with an obliterated serial number, was ordered... Uh, detained with that bond by a federal uh, wait, magistrate judge. Okay, I don't care what the name of the judge is. Okay, look at this. Look at this dork. Is this your first assassination attempt? Good thing he was incompetent. Yeah, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Deborah in the live chat is saying, I'm so glad she's safe. Yeah. Um, awesome. The live chat is saying, Masi said in an interview she was in, in a middle of an online meeting as she would not notice his interest if he could break the door i think he knew she was busy at the moment okay i think like miss Ali Masi alina jad is going to need better security like the fact that you could just walk over to her porch like i think she should leave her house and live in an apartment so you can't people can't just walk up 
to her door. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, here, actually, I'm going to read this part. The complaint filed against. There's a ridiculous part here. The complaint said that... Uh, Oh, look at this. This guy is so stupid. Look at this. Okay. The complaint filed against Mr. Mr. Mehdiev, which was signed by an FBI special agent, said that inside the suitcase, suitcase the authorities also found $1,100 in $100 bills. So he had an AK-47 uh, and also a almost $1,000. Two license plates from other states with different numbers and a New York State uh, learner's permit listing an address in uh, Yonkers. Okay, so the complaint said... Oh, here's the interesting part. The complaint said that a Brooklyn police uh, precinct... What? Precinct? How do you pronounce this? Hold on. Learning. Precinct. 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 Where Mr. Metiev was taken, he waved... Okay, look at this part. He waved his Miranda rights and told agents... He was in Brooklyn looking for a new apartment because his rent was too high, according to the complaint. So his excuse, he didn't he didn't remain silent. This guy is such a professional, okay? He told the police that he went to open the door because by the way, Miss Alina Judd's house is like a $10 million house, right? So he's like, the rent is too high. So it was just opening the door to see if they have a room to rent. That was his excuse. Like, who is this guy? And why doesn't he have a better excuse? Like, is that really... He was like, yeah. I, and then they're like, well, what's the AK-47 for? And he was like, I don't know. That's not mine. Like, who? Like, why is he not... Obviously, if this guy was a professional, he would just shut up and not say anything. <laughs> Darko is like doing a face bump. Nice uh, is saying, uh, Deborah is saying, what a moron. Gossam is saying, she's an asset for Iranians. Thanks, U.S. government, for supporting uh, our assets. <laughs> yes. Okay. He waived his Miranda rights and told agents he was in Brooklyn looking for a new apartment because his rent was too high, according to the complaint. He said he had attempted, attempted to open the uh, outer door of the residence in order to knock on the inner door and ask if the occupants would rent him a room. Sure. But he changed his mind because he thought someone might be sleeping, the complaint said. Without being asked about the AK-47 found in the car, he volunteered that he did not know anything about a gun and claimed the suitcase was not his, the complaint said. The guy shows up in a car with a suitcase that has an AK-47 in it, and he tells the police, like, I don't know, that's not my... <laughs> that's not my... Dude, like, shut up. Why, why would you just talk? Like, just say, I need a lawyer. God damn it. Later, later, Mr. Mehdiev asked to speak again with the agent. So, like, okay, okay, agents, I'm changing my story. He said that the AK-47 AK was his and that he was in Brooklyn because he was looking for someone. Why? Why would he change his story? He's like, okay, I lied. The gun is mine, and I'm looking for somebody. Like, this is so incriminating. He he changed his story. Like, how unprofessional is this guy? 
This is what the Iranian regime can afford? He then asked for a lawyer and declined to speak further, the complaint said. So he's like, oopsie. He's like, oopsie, I shouldn't have been talking all this time. I shouldn't have been talking. He just realized that he shouldn't have been talking all this time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> He's saying, like, yeah, that is not how you find an apartment. <laughs> like, that's not, yeah. Uh, <laughs> God said, like, how to buy an apartment in the U.S.? Pick up a Klashnikov and breach the house. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't make this a trend. Oh, my God, it's so ridiculous. It's good to know that Iranian assassins are like assassins hired by Iranian regime are this uh, incompetent. Like, I don't know. Like, it just sounds so fishy. If they wanted to do this, what if, okay, should I be conspiratorial? I don't want to be conspiratorial. What if they on purpose hired somebody that was really bad at his job because they didn't want the assassination to actually happen? They just wanted to scare her. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the explanation. Because why would they? Why would they hire this guy? Okay. Next question. Gusale is also asking, please do a deep dive into what's happening in Iraq. Guys, do you know what's happening in Iraq? It's crazy. It's crazy. So it's been 10 months now since the elections in Iraq. I can't believe it because it's like, I can't believe it's been almost a year because it seemed like yesterday that we had elections in Iraq and we still don't have a government after 10 months. Ten months. Let's see. Look at this. Okay. Um, what's behind Iraq's explosive political crisis? Let's read this together. Iraq is the uh, Iraq is in the midst of its worst and longest political crisis in years. At the center of this overheating conflict stands Iraqi political kingmaker Muqtada al-Sadr. Guys, Muqtada al-Sadr. I always say al-Sadr. I should say al-Sadr. Muqtada al-Sadr is like. The, the key political figure right now in Iraq, okay? And his main um, goal right now is to reduce the influence of United States, but more importantly, Iran in Iraqi politics, okay? Because the Americans are, their goal is to eventually leave anyways. Um, it's the Iranians that want to increase their presence in Iraqi politics, okay? And Muqtada al-Assad like, we need to, we need to finally have our own sovereign country with its own independent politics. And a lot of Iraqis have been very frustrated with the level of involvement um, that Iran has in Iraqi politics. Ever since Saddam's uh, fall, uh, Iranian government has been attempting to turn Iraq into just another province of, of Iran. Like they are, they want to dominate Iraqi politics the same way they did it with Lebanon, right? So they're doing a Lebanon project in Iraq, like what they did with Hezbollah in Lebanon. They're not trying to do that with Hashd Shabi and their own political uh, parties in Iraq. And it's failing. Not only is failing in Iraq, it's also, also failing in Lebanon. 
because people in Lebanon and Iraq are frustrated with Iranian influence, right? And in the elections that happened 10 months ago, the fact that Muqtada al-Sadr's uh, parties and his allies got so much of the wo votes showed that the Iraqi people were voting for Iran out, okay? This, is, this was a vote for Iran, Islamic Republic of Iran out of Iraqi politics, okay? But the Iranian-backed parties and the Iranian-backed armed forces in Iraq were not having any of that. Like, even though they lost, the like, any, so this is, guys, this is like a conflict between Shias, right? So Iraq used to be, for so many years, a conflict between Shias and Sunnis. That's over. Right now we have conflicts between Shias, pro-Iran Shias, and anti-Iran Shias, right? Shias that want, um, Shias who are supporting Muqtada al-Sadr, are the ones that want Iran out, and she has that that lost the election. Their part, the parties that were pro-Iran, lost so many seats. It was embarrassing. It was a clear message by the Iraqi people that we don't want the Iranian government to be meddling in our politics, right? Um, okay, us that's um, that's not true. But let me see what Glasser is saying. Glasser is saying sad. In Farsi and I think Arabic as well. Wait, Sarah in Farsi and I think Arabic as well means high. So literally, yeah, it can be translated as president. Okay. But let me let me just read this, okay? So Iraqi political kingmaker Muqtada al-Assad and a rival block of parties with strong ties to neighboring Iran, right? So on one side you have as al sadr and his allies. Um, and these, this is a Shia leader, okay? So Muqtada al-Assad is Shia, is a Shia leader. Where is his picture? Oh, there's him. Okay, so that's him, okay? Um, but on the other side, because a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people think like when you see Shia, you must see Iranian influence. That used to be the case. Now we have Shias that are against the Iranian influence. This is a major breaking point, okay? Because a lot of people assume that Shia dominance in a region in the Middle East means that the door is open for the Iranian regime's influence in that area, okay? That concept is being challenged more than ever before when Shias themselves are standing up against the Islamic Republic of Iran, right? So again, on one side, you have Muqtada al-Sadr al um, against the Iranian influence. On the other side, you have a whole bunch of rival uh, block of parties with strong ties to neighboring Iran. In a show of strength, supporters of Shia cleric Sadr last week uh, twice stormed Baghdad's heavily fortified green zone uh, which houses government buildings and western embassies and on Sunday staged a long sit-in inside the parliament. Okay, so this is the picture for that. Guys, this is in the middle of the green zone um, and you I don't know if you understand, this is like the most secure set, you know place in Iraq, okay? And these, man these people managed to breach it, okay? The green zone in Iraq is very fortified, especially because you have America, America's embassy and a whole bunch of other embassies there. And given Iraq's history with ISIS and a whole bunch of other terrorist groups, it's very important to keep the green zone completely safe. And with all, uh, people say like it's like a fortress that is, you can't, you know, you can't get through. And yet, these people managed to get through. And look, they're just like in the middle of it. Like these people, these are supporters of Muqtada al-Sadr. And they just stormed 
in the green zone, not once, but twice. And the second time, they just sat there, like, we're not going home. The reason why they wanted to, didn't want to go home is because Muqtada al-Sadr was not supporting, like, even though he got the most seats, the government was being formed without, um, in a way that it was still pro-Iran. So he basically um, decided not to take part in that. And they were going and with selecting a prime minister anyways, a prime minister that would have been sympathetic to Iran. And these and Muqtada al-Sadr told the supporters to storm the green zone and make sure that this doesn't happen. And they responded to his demand, they responded to his call. So let me continue. In a show of strength, yeah, okay, so I read that part, which has, okay. While Sadr, uh, Sadr, Sadr's supporters are rallying against the nomination of a new prime minister, these protests, yeah, so this is the new prime minister that they wanted to put in power um, because he was pro-Iranian regime, even though even though the people of Iraq have said in their election, in their, in their votes that this is, that's not what they want. These, so these protests also represent a deep political rift uh, festing between Iraq's rival Shia blocs and the influential hand that analysts say Iran is playing uh, from afar. Iran will be a party in this conflict, said Ihsan al-Shamari, a, po a politics professor at Baghdad University and head of the Iraqi Center of Political Thought. Really? Is that your commentary? Iran will be a party in this conflict? No crap. Are you, oh my God, what an analysis. And Sadr is aware that Iran could be what pushes the co uh, coordination framework, the framework to try to in inflate its influence in the political scene in Iraq, he added. Uh, a Shia bloc that is aligned with Iran and is opposed to Sadr, uh, the coordination framework. Okay, so the coordination framework is the name of, I think, the... Uh, the block that is pro-Iran. Yes, the Shia block that is aligned. So we have coordination framework, which is a block, the Shia block that is pro-Iran, and we have Sadr on the other side. So this coordination framework includes politicians with ties to Tehran, including former Prime Minister Nouri al-Malaki. Okay, so Nouri al-Malaki is leading the charge against Sadr. So if you want to see the opposite figure to Sadr on the other side is al-Malaki. Al-Malaki is the former prime minister of Iraq, and he is very much anti-Sadr. And also, there was a recently an audio leaked uh, by Malaki showing that he was um, potentially trying to start a coup against Sadr um, or start a civil war. But now they're accusing Sadr of trying to start a civil war. Guys, I don't know if you understand. This could start civil war in Iraq, like you might be seeing the beginnings, like people are scared, like is political instability in Iraq doesn't have a good history, okay? Like, we, Shias turning on Shias, if this turns into civil war, like we could like, we could enter to a multi-year instability in the region again. This is like really crazy. DSA, uh, no injuries reported, amazing, yeah. But Nuri al-Maliki is showing up in the streets with his with a gun in his hand, which is kind of, oh, wow. D is saying, oh, no, wrong. More than 100 injured on Saturday, reported CNN. Okay, well, 100 injured. Okay, never mind. But al-Maliki is, like, really 
raising the tensions by showing up in the street like the former partners that would have gotten us act. like he's like he's acting like he's ready to for for war okay so it also includes parliamentary groups that are heavily armed by iran Guys, like again, remember every time Iran accuses the United States of imperialism and meddling in other countries, just remind that, remember that they're hypocrites because they're doing the exact same thing in countries like Iraq and Lebanon against the wishes, wishes of the people in Iraq and Lebanon. The latest turmoil, uh, turmoil follows nine months of political deadlock, bickering, and accusations that have hindered the formation of a government after Saj emerged as the biggest winner in October's parliamentary election. Saj's win threatens to sideline the Iran-aligned Shia, Shia blocs that have dominated Iraqi politics for decades. Uh, in what was described as a tectonic shift in Iraqi politics, Saj in June asked his political bloc to resign from parliament after failing to co uh, cooperate with opposing blocs. The move showed Saad's true power, his ability to mobilize supporters um, on the streets in large numbers and with great force. In a potentially escalatory move, the coordination framework on Sunday called for protesters to also take to the streets on Monday. Iraq's political system is on the brink of uh, irreparable ir irreparable collapse and the country is headed towards a civil oh this is what I was saying the country is headed towards a civil war between Saj and his Iran aligned rivals yes Iran, Iraq could have had a stable democracy a long time ago but Iran's regime just does not let it this is such a such a betrayal such a disservice to the Iraqi people like they are like if Iran would just leave Iraq alone, they would have been they they'd probably be able to have a functioning democracy by now. Uh, yeah. Speaking at a weekly press conference, Iranian Foreign Ministry spokesman uh, spokesman Nasser uh, Kanani said that the situation in Iraq was caused by internal political disputes, reported the state's news agency IRNA on Monday. Uh, Kanani, uh, Kanani's comments seem to dismiss the speculation around Tehran's role in Baghdad's current crisis. While some experts say that the current political stalemate is deeply in, entrenched in the level of influence Iran has over its neighbor, others do not believe Iran drives the conflict sure uh i th okay so anyways i don't want to read too much oh my god i'm not gonna read all of this anyway so you get the picture um iraq could be falling apart thanks to the islamic republic of iran this is the article if you want to go read it the rest of it yourself oh thank you so much ken ken ani ken ani ken ani thank you Rasa. all right Ah, I have a cold today, so I have a stuffy nose. It's hard to read things. All right. I spent so much time on this one question. Yeah, finish that one. All right. Let me actually make sure I refresh this page and then read the next question. All right, next question. 
Gusale, Gusale is asking, what is the nature of the relationship between Iran and Qatar? Okay, so Qatar is attempting to be the um, middle man between as many negotiations as possible. So uh, Qatar's foreign policy soft power involves trying to maintain relationships with as many countries as possible, which their close relationship with Iran at some point also made them made Saudi Arabia extremely angry. I don't know if you guys remember the blockade that Saudi Arabia and its allies had over Qatar over exactly this. I mean, over a couple of things, um, Qatar's close relationships with Iran, with Hamas, and because of Al Jazeera, and I hope so, a few other things, made Saudis very, very angry. Oh. Okay, thank you, Makhaya. But let's look at let's look at here, here, let's read this so we can get a better understanding. Qatar, Iran, uh, Qatar, Iran take big step forward towards expansion of ties. Okay. Qatar's uh, Emir Sheikh Tamim Ibn Hamad Al Tahni. Oh my God, that's a long name. Uh, arrived in Iran's capital Tehran on Thursday. So this was this was in May. Okay, but I just wanted to read this article because it's the most recent article shows uh, that they already had ties. They already were close. You know, uh, among Gulf Arab countries, Qatar is the only one that Iran has a close relationship with, right? Qatar sets itself apart from all the other Gulf Arab countries because its ability to have good relationships with uh, countries that are not like it's always Qatar was always the black sheep among Gulf Arab countries. Like the Gulf Arab countries, uh, again, this has changed in the recent years. But the simple version of it is that they, Saudi Arabia will set the lead in the direction of who to be friends with and who to be enemies with, um, and most other um, Arab countries, Gulf Arab countries, follow right. Um, again, recently that has been challenged as well. But Qatar was always the odd one out. The one that we like, uh, we're going to be friends with whoever we want, thank you very much. And the one that Saudi Arabia had the most problem with, with was Iran. But not only the pressure on Qatar didn't stop Qatar from getting closer to Iran, it actually encouraged them to do it more. But because Iran, when, when Qatar was in this blockade by Saudi Arabia and a whole bunch of other countries, Iran really came out and helped Qatar. Um, but, you know, by allowing it to use its airspace and a whole bunch of things, it technically saved Qatar. Um, dude, where's, like, look at these, look at these, like, sh showing up. This is so embarrassing. Look at the outfit of this guy. Look at this, like, it's just like, I don't know, look at all that shit. Yeah, I was thinking of Sat Satya is saying the same thing. Satya is like, why is the white cloth guy, like you mean the Qatari guy, why is he not wearing socks? I don't know. It just looks weird. <laughs> it's just so, like, so unkept. They both were, like, and also, like, okay, so the Raisi's black, uh, you know, cover is see-through. 
I don't know why, but I think that also looks pathetic. They both look pathetic. God damn it. Like, I know, like, I'm not just talking, like, I know you can make these look good. Like, it's, I'm not just saying any, every Mullah outfit looks bad. Like, I've seen Mullahs manage to pull off a pretty good outfit. Like, even with the turban and the black cloth or whatever, some some of them pull it off. But these two, and, and also the Sheikh, the Arab outfit, like, some people pull it off. Like, Muhammad, okay, so, for example, instead of these two, like, Khamenei wears what Raisi is wearing a lot better, okay? Khamenei managed to, manages to pull off the Mullah outfit a lot more elegantly, okay? And for example, uh, Mohammed bin Salman the, uh, wears the Arab outfit on the guy on the left a lot more elegantly than this dude. Like, they both look ridiculous. I don't know. Osmus, I don't know what you're... No, he's not. Yeah, yeah. So Satya is saying Imam Tawhidi also wears good answers. Yeah, like you could make this look nice. These people, I don't know. Somebody needs to talk to. Them. I mean, you're the president of the country, Racy. What are you wearing? You look like a, <laughs> I don't know. You look like you're about to strip or something. It's see-through. I don't know. Okay, let me read this. Qatar, um, the visiting official was received at the airport by Iran's Vice President Mohammad Mukhber, after which the uh, cavalcade left for Sadabad Palace in northern Tehran for the official welcome ceremony and talks. Following the talks, Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi and the, Qatar, and the Qatari ruler uh, convened a joint new conference giving details about discussions that ranged from the expansion of bilateral ties regional security and collaboration in hosting the uh, uh, 2022 FIFA World Cup as well as Iran Iran's nuclear talks. Oh by the way, this is this article was written before Qatar tried to um, revive the Vienna talks in Doha and spoiler alert it failed. So Qatar was like the Vienna talks when it comes to reviving the Iran's nuclear talks it failed in Vienna, and Qatar was like trying to save it last minute in Doha. Qatar is like always trying to be a center for negotiations, right? If you guys remember, Doha is also a place where the um, where Taliban was negotiating with the West before Afghanistan war, uh, before Afghanistan collapsed, and you know uh, when Kabul was captured by uh, the Taliban, right? So. Again, Doha is the place to do negotiations, like for many countries, especially in the Middle East. Uh, in his remarks, Raisi said the two sides discussed bilateral political, economic trade, uh, cultural, and energy cooperation with emphasis on joint investments. Um, okay, so these are commenting on regional security cooperation. Iran's president said. The onus on maintaining security in the region lies with regional governments by calling for non-interference of Western powers, of course. Okay, so here's the part. Um, so, yeah, so condemning journalists killing, is this about Khashoggi? Oh, no, this is about Shirin Abu um, Akhle. So they condemned that, of course, and then they were talking about the Vienna talks, expansion of ties. Yeah, so... Now you know. I mean, to be to be honest, like Qatar is like right next to 
close to Iran. And Iran is like a big country. Qatar is a small country, right? Um, Qatar has to take Iran very seriously. They have a lot of um, political um, interests with each other. They have a lot of security interests with each other. And they have a lot of economic interests with each other. So it would be insane for Qatar to not try to um, have like a good relationship with Iran. Like Qatar was leading the way among Gulf Arab countries in reaching a, a like um, you know reaching out to Iran for better relationships, right? But now even countries like the UAE they're also like realizing that they cannot ignore the Islamic Republic of Iran. Like they're trying to be on the side of Saudi Arabia and be just like Egypt and the UAE are both realizing that the Islamic Republic of Iran is not a, is not a government that you just want to be hostile with indefinitely. Like they are in the region. They are a big country. They are powerful. They have more military uh, power than any of these countries. They have a big uh, pool, like, a big population, a big work, workforce, a relatively uh, big economy, you know, compared to their small countries. Again, their countries are better GDP per capita. Like GDP per capita of these Gulf Arab countries are a lot higher than Iran. But when it comes to international relationships, what actually matters is total GDP, not GDP per capita, because you have a lot more weight to throw around. And Iran's GDP is relatively big to for these other countries. So you, you can't just ignore them. Oxymoron is saying, I don't find the outfits as weird. Okay. Okay. Let me just like, let me see. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not just being, I'm not being like saying the Mullah's outfits are all bad. Okay. I am just saying that you could make it look better. I don't know. Wait, hold on. Yeah, okay. So, like, I think, like, this this one that is not see-through, uh, see that looks better than this one that looks that is see-through. I don't know. This looks just cheap and pathetic. This one looks better. Right? Also, and also, look, like, the Arab outfit. So, this is a Shia outfit, but the, the Arab outfit, like, look, he looks like he looks like he's about to like this looks pretty decent i don't know he just looks better here he doesn't look good here oh my god he does not look good here okay but this outfit looks good i think this looks better i don't know anyways <laughs> darko is saying looks kind of sexy Wait, Qasim saying this is Desh Dashi? I don't know what this means. Just Satya saying, just kidding. Wait, what are you kidding about? I guess someone has a dirty. What? Wait. Who, who are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Qasim saying they are so close to Iran, it means they are so in danger. Well, I mean, uh, yes, the Gulf Arab countries. Qatar doesn't have anything to worry about Iran. Qatar and Iran have pretty good close relationship all right that tire is like <laughs> they look cool okay 
Um, Rob is asking, have you reached out to Vidovids to see if he's willing to repost his X-Sony versus X-Shia video? I never had the chance to watch it before he took it down. No, I mean, I didn't. But yeah, that was a really good video. So for people who don't know, me and Vidovids, we had a debate. He pretended to be... So he's an ex-Sunni. He's an ex-Muslim who's an ex-Sunni. I'm an ex-Muslim that is an ex-Shia, okay? So we tried to demonstrate how good we could argue for the Shia side and the Sunni side by him pretending to be a Sunni and I pretended to be a Shia. And we just debated each other. And I think we did a very good job. Like, I think, like, we put... Like, we were very aggressive and passionate about me being pro-Shia and he being pro-Sunni. Like, it was very believable, right? So I think we did, it was so funny and it was so interesting. And I think a lot of people in the comment section were saying, like, I actually learned a lot about the difference. Like, you, this was kind of comedy, but you guys, with this debate, you made us learn so much about the difference between Shia and Sunni, like, in a lot more detail than we... Uh, that we thought that we knew, right? Like, it was such an interesting video. But again, I don't want to tell him to... I don't want to ask him if he's going to put it back up because obviously he had he has his reasons for why he took it down. I don't want to pressure him back. Like, like I don't want to make him feel bad for taking it down. But again, it was such a good video. I was such a... I missed that video. It was really good. Like, I was really good in taking the Shia side. Um, like, I think... <laughs> I think I crushed him. I think I, uh, like, he was being Sunni, I was being Shia. And I think if you uh, were trying to, I think I managed to win um, to show why the Shia side makes more sense. Even though I don't believe that. Like, if I was a Muslim, I think the Sunni side makes more sense. But I managed to make the Shia side make seem like it makes more sense. Yeah, Darker is saying that was a fun video. It was so good. I'm so sad that it's, it's lost now. Nobody can see it. Edge is saying, oh my God, yeah, it's the debate that brought me to this channel. Really, Idris, that debate brought you to this channel? Ah, I wish it was still up. Damn it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's the Arabic name for the outfit. <laughs> Secular fashion police. All right. Um, so last picture question. Wait, let me actually post the link. So while I read the last question, maybe somebody would want to come up. So if you are a YouTube member, I'm going to post the link to come and join me live on air in the community tab. Just say come up, Hold on. yes. Just for it's only going to be visible to YouTube members. So if you're a YouTube member, uh, now there's a link that is only visible to YouTube members, and if you click on it, you should be able to come and talk to me live on air. Uh, but no pressure. So again, let's do last question. Wait, what is this? Okay, last picture question. Oh, and this is at work. Okay, it's okay. All right, what do you think about the forced confessions of anti-hijabbers? Anti-hijabbers, okay. 
That's a new word. I didn't think. Okay, so anti-hijabers, I guess we're calling the women in Iran who are taking off the hijab as protests against their mandatory hijab. We're calling them anti-hijabers now. Okay. Uh, let's, let's look at this. So I don't know if you guys remember what happened here. We covered this before. Remember that this was a woman in, there was a, a clash in this bus between a hijabi conservative woman in Iran with like a chador. Chador means that you're a lot more conservative because you're wearing um, the attire that is not necessary, but you're, if you're religious, that's what you would be wearing. So if you look at on the screen, this is the outfit that shows that you're more religious, right? And this conservative woman was fighting with uh, another woman, uh, her name was Sepide, who was fighting over the hijab, right? So she was, um, the, the religious person was telling, was trying to tell, tell them to wear their hijab properly. And this started a fight in the bus between religious woman and the liberal woman, right? By the way, the liberal woman is apparently an atheist, okay? Um, um, apparently that was in her profile, so which is like, so I don't this this conflict eventually led to Sepide, the liberal woman, being arrested. Okay, actually, let's watch this video. And she had a forced confession. Yeah. So let's read this. So this is the religious woman that was in the bus, right? That was fighting against all these liberal women. And apparently all the liberal women that were fighting with her because she was trying to force the hijab upon her, apparently they were all arrested, okay? And they are made to come and apologize to her as if they're doing this by choice. They're like they come, they're they're all the liberal women that were fighting this religious woman because she was trying to force hijab on them. Um they're coming on TV and they're like, We've been we did something wrong. This was sad, like this was like wrong of us to do. Masi Alinajad like basically corrupted our minds and she misled us and she gave us false promises and we, we were misguided and this was wrong, okay? And then this lady, this, this lady who was like really, she was really bad, like I don't know, I'm trying not to swear, okay? But she was an a-hole, okay? Now she feels so high and mighty because the government is making all these liberal women come on, on, on national TV apologizing to, to her, right? Yeah, Darko is saying so, so toxic, yeah. But anyways, like, look, this is the liberal woman, and she's like, please forgive me, please, like, um, I, I apologize, I did something wrong. But, like, in the bus, if you remember when we showed the video, it was very, very tense. But now they're submitting to her and asking her to forgive them. So now, so some of the liberal women came in and asked for forgiveness, but Sepide, the main woman, the main woman who was recording and was like really aggressive against the religious woman, she was the last one. She for a few days, people didn't know where she is, and her confession was not being aired. Like all these other women's confessions were being aired, but people were wondering where is Sepide. And eventually, Sepide herself came, and she also confessed uh, confessed that she did something wrong. And this is her recording of her, right? Uh, and a lot of people think like the reason why sh she held out the longest was because she was resisting the most. Like she was like not willing to come out and say that she did something wrong. Uh, but people are saying that 
um, she was probably tortured, okay? ترافا در چه زمان و مکان و شرایطی گرفته شده؟ صحبت های Look, like look at her eyes. I don't know if people are just reading too much into this or not, but people are saying that she was probably beaten. I don't know. I don't think that's I see I don't know if I can say that by looking to her eyes, but people are saying she must have been tortured. چند ثانیه یه رشنو در گزارشی از یکی از خبرنگارهای معروف حکومتی در فضای مجازی باستا به گسترده ای داشت so this video went viral the video on the bus went viral the, the conflict between the hijabi woman and the sepide یکی از خبرنگارهای معروف so, حکومتی در فضای مجازی باستا به گسترده ای داشته به نظر so this is sepide without the whole س... like her, her what she likes to look like okay so the, the, when she's on tv that's the hijab they put the hijab on her سپیده رشنو تحت فشار و شکنجه وادار به اعتراف اجباری شده سپیده رشنو زنه ساله و منتقد هجاب اجباریه So she was 28. Like, yeah, this is, this is the conflict, you know? This is the fight between her and this hijabi woman. So this video of the conflict went viral between, yeah? Imagine, like, after that... Being humiliated, like on on TV, like that lady humiliated you, and you try, you were trying to fight for your rights, and you st- stood up against her. But now the government is now coming and taking you and making humiliating you in front of their entire country, making getting a forced confession. So this is a reporter that uh, interviewed Sapida on TV, and a lot of people hate this woman. Okay, they call it they they. they She's a reporter, but a lot of people say like she's not just a reporter. She's just like an agent of the government. Okay, um, so she's like among liberal people in Iran, she's one of the most hated reporters because she doesn't just interview people; she interrogates them, and she, um, yeah, so she's like evil. So look, people are like comparing how she is and how she how she is normally and how she is on. national tv so this is sepida and they uh, her average in her daily life and this is her when she was being um, forced to confess تصاویر آشنای بکگراند آبی و اعترافات زن معترض به هجاب گزاره های اعتراف اجباری را تکمیل کرده در روزهای اخیر این سومین باره که فیلم اعترافات مخالفان هجاب اجباری پخش میشه so this is the third time that they were uh... They had confessions out of anti-hijab women in Iran. So there has been a series of like people on TV watching women who are against the hijab to come on national TV and confess that they're corrupted, their minds have been corrupted, they have been under the influence of Masih Alinejad. So imagine watching on TV. Like, guys, like imagine like in the United States, like watching TV and watching people to being forced to confess against like by moral police that. their outfit i don't know it's just so i don't know it's just so it's just so dystopian i don't know it's just so disgusting 
باشه همه اونها در این تصاویر ضمن ابراز پشیمانی از than others that she's not happy with what she's saying, right? And there's been a lot of interpretation. Like these women, they try to give the lines in a way that it seemed like genuine. But when Sepide was giving her lines, when she was giving her confessions, uh, she came off as like so obviously forced. And the interpretation has either been maybe it's because she's resist she's resisting harder than others, or maybe because the regime doesn't care anymore. Um, maybe they want other people to know it was forced because they want you to be scared but i don't know that's a lot of conspiracy theory az masih ali najad ruznama negar va muassas campaign azadi hay yawashaki va charshanbe hay safed ke sal ha sadaye mukhalifan hijab ejbari ro anyways let me actually read a little bit about what happened here Yeah, so Iranian uh, broadcast of women's confessions sparks outrage on social media. The broadcast of women's apparent forced confession on Iranian state TV has sparked a wave of anger from activists. Sepide Rashnu, a 20-year-old uh, writer and artist, was arrested on June 15 after a video of her arguing with another woman who was enforcing rules on wearing a headscarf on a bus in Tehran when viral the other woman threatened to send a video uh, which showed rational riding the bus without the mandatory hijab to the islamic revolutionary guard uh, corps or irgc weeks after widespread co- concern grew over rational's whereabouts a twitter storm started with the hashtag where is sapide iran's uh, state television subsequently showed her in a video report on July 30th during a one-sided narr- narrative over the confrontation wait uh, during a one-sided narrative over the confrontation a pale face rational was shown for a few seconds in what looked like a studio setting saying lines that appeared to have been written by authorities the broadcast of rational's words caused an immediate re- reaction on social media Atina Daemi, a human rights defender and former political prisoner, uh, compared the video to the forced confession given by 25 Kurdish prisoners who were uh, identified as ISIS members. The creation of uh, scenarios against the PD Rational and the broadcast of her forced confession film, citing the uh, literature of the reformists, reminded me of the execution of those dear ones. Daimi said in a tweet, the confession aired amid recent reports that authorities in Iran are increasingly cracking down on women deemed to be in violation of wearing the hijab, which is mandatory in public in Iran. Iran's notorious uh, guidance patrol, guidance patrols are basically morality police. So in Iran, we have morality police or, you know, uh, oh, yeah. I should have just read it. it just said or morality police got them it. it just says that okay or morality police have became increasingly active and violent videos have emerged on social media appearing to show uh, appearing to show officers detaining women forcing them into vans and whisking them away mehdi yerhani a famous iranian singer 
wrote in a tweet that he was extremely disgusted with the broadcaster and said he would no longer allow this anti-human organization to use and broadcast any of my works under any circumstances. A July 5th order by President Ibrahim Raisi to enforce the hijab laws law has re- resulted in a new list of restrictions on how women can dress. Following the order, women judged not to be in compliance have been barred from government offices, bank, banks, and public transportation. In response, activists have launched a social media campaign under the hashtag NoToHijab to, or- to urge people to boycott uh, companies enforcing the tougher restrictions. On July 12th, women's rights activists posted videos of themselves publicly removing their veils to coincide with the government's national day of hijab and chastity. The hijab first became compulsory in public for Iranian women and girls over the age of nine after the 1979 Islamic revolution. Many Iranian women have flouted the rule over the years in protests and pushed the boundaries of what officials say is acceptable clothing. All right. I think we did a good job in addressing this question. I'm gonna, all right, cool. Um, oh, thank you, Mariam. Yes. So Karen and Elijah are saying, hi, ex, ex a Hindu from India. What are your views on Hinduism? Uh, it sucks. It sucks monkey balls, uh, big time. I actually consider now Hinduism to be the most violent religion, uh, even more violent than Islam, but not only by scripture, but not in practice, because Hindus don't take their scripture very seriously. But the scripture itself, I think it's the most violent religion of all. I have a lot of streams on it on Atheist Republic, if you want to see why. Yeah, Qasem is saying hashtag no to mandatory hijab. Oh, Satya is here. Hello. Hello, Satya? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. You look ill. Yeah, I have a cold. Oh. Why are you concerned? You're concerned for me? Oh, yes, kind of. Oh, oh thank you. Way. Thanks for uploading that video of a, con- of a conversation. What? Uh, thanks for uploading the video of our conversation. That Hindutva one. Oh yeah, no problem. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, no problem. Which you uploaded a video of the first discussion we had on Hindutva. Oh, okay, okay. It's our editors. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no worries. Comments were awesome. There was a comment yeah? which was like, man, this guy is so full of shit. He doesn't know UP. <laughs> the law and order situation of UP has hit rock bottom. It is most unsafe for women in the world. <laughs> like, this guy doesn't even know that the condition of Bihar is anyways like much much like worse than UP. Hmm. Wait, why why do you say I look ill? I think I look fine. I don't think like I am ill, but I don't think I look ill. No, your eyes. You, you, yeah, so bro, you you do look a bit drained though, a little bit. Yes. You know, you yeah. you, you normally look a lot more refreshed. You, you see, I mean, it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, 
it's fine to uh you know if you you not drastically like a five percent ten percent drop from your yeah, norm, I, norm, I, normal I, self. I have had fever and I'm not able to sleep because of my fever and I'm shivering and like every time I try to sleep I for some reason I'm shivering so I haven't gotten enough sleep but after this I'm gonna take a whole bunch of melatonin I'm gonna like take a like a bottle of melatonin and try to like fall asleep so I can get my rest but thank you guys did you get tested for COVID no it just happened yesterday Oh, and it's already. Rec- I'm already recovering. Okay, it might just be a little 24-hour thing or a, you know, yeah. a short stay. It happens. Is, has the weather been up and down, or has the weather been consistent? Or is... mm, it's been. It's, I don't. I don't leave the house, so it's not the weather. It might be the okay. aircon. Maybe I put the aircon at too long. Huh, maybe. <laughs> you don't leave yeah. the house. You don't get out and take a stroll now and then, or. Uh, yeah, I, I should. I haven't for a while. I have my gym inside my house. Ah, a little bit of natural fresh air. Yeah, I should. You know, I should leave that from, from the environment, doesn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you guys for caring. Anyways, um, my house too. Like my colleague, what? I have a vacation. I don't just, I don't step out of my out of my house too. My yeah. college is closed right now, and. I like like gardening, so I have a garden in my house. I have a gym in my house, and the market is just like on the bottom floor of my house. We have rented it out to some shopkeepers, <laughs> so uh, everything is available in my house only. Awesome is giving me terrible advice in the live chat. I'm not, don't read this because YouTube is like gonna hate it if we read this. But yeah, <laughs> not. not. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I say, oh, I mean, I hope you get well soon. I think if I just sleep like. 10, for 10 hours, I will recover. I just need to sleep a lot. KP is saying, me too, Satya. KP is right, also an internationalist. Do you know that? Like, he's more internationalist KP? than me. KP? In the left chat? Yeah. There's no, yeah. I think so. I think I remember him being... Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we're all hermits? <laughs> yes, we are. I think the pandemic made us like this. Yes, the uh, pandemic made us like this. Don't get too, too, what was that? Don't get close to Pucci. What's Pucci? Pucci is my dog. <laughs> oh. Oxymoron is saying, personal tip, don't eat heavy or beyond your appetite. Actually, I think that, I mean, I lost my appetite and I think that, I should try to eat to recover faster because I don't like to eat now because of a, oh, and I think to recover faster, you have to try to eat, no? There's a trick from Modi himself that if you get cold, drink lots of warm water and reduce your diet so you'll get well in three to four days. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think you need to, don't reduce your diet. I think like you're supposed to eat so you have your immune system is functional. I don't know. Am I wrong about I don't this? Know. In India, like we have a, an alternate system of medicines which is totally dependent on roots and uh, like plants and herbs. And whenever we get ill, so in many households, still we have some herbs in our household, so we get something like a tea made out of those and we don't eat anything in the day and eat light food in the night. That's the diet of an Indian. KP is saying drink milk before you sleep, if um, it will help you. Yes. Before you... yes, put some turmeric in it too. Mm. 
<laughs> you are getting full ayurveda classes yeah um okay what you guys have any questions about i don't know politics islam hinduism christianity any thoughts on any of the a friendly muslim do you do you get up uh, what do you what do you feel like when you see this many iranians being so frustrated with islam do you feel bad um i understand it i understand what's going on there and then you know i've seen sort of sunni shia differences in in the way sort of islam is sort of talked about but i can understand why they're frustrated um also so i i, I think it's a case where it's it's I don't know. I, I think the delivery of Sunni and Shia Islam is, is different. That would be the first part of it. And then also the way it's given out in the country, um, you know, and how people are treated. I think there's a political element to it also. But you were saying like, with the hijab, it's more. It's not about the hijab itself. It's more about the control that the government has on people. I mean, I, I, again, I yeah, don't but, know too much about it, so I'd like your input yeah, but, on that. Yeah, but people are, even though it's true that it's more the hijab is a lot more than just about the hijab, but it's also true that a lot of Iranians are extremely frustrated, not just with the Islamic Republic, but with Islam as a whole, right? The campaigns in Iran used to be like, no to mandatory hijab. Now the campaigns in Iran are no to hijab. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, and we have campaigns in Iran uh, says, I shit on Islam. Did you know that? Like, we had campaigns in Iran that with the hashtag, I shit, I shit on Islam. And then we had, yeah, so. Okay. Well, I mean, I, yeah. again, I can't, you know, take it in one place where people are protesting that they want to be able to uh, wear their hijab. And then in another place, they're protesting against it. So maybe if they were listened to when they said they don't want it as mandatory, then mm. they wouldn't be in this position now. Also, you know. So again, you think it's it, just so you think it's justified for all these Iranian people to hate Islam now? If, if if it's been delivered to them in a certain way, yeah, sure. I mean, that's how they feel. There's got to be a reason behind it. Um, you know, I, I, it's not the first Iranian that I've heard that isn't happy. Uh, with the way Islam is given or, or what they understand of it. You know, um, the delivery of Shia Islam, you know, I, you know I've watched sermons, there's quite a f famous guy, and I don't find them the same um, in regards to uh, Sunni, you know, scholars and, and when they speak. I think there's a big difference. Are you microwaving something? Yeah, we had a hijab. I'm sorry, that was all else. Hijab, like a Hindu hijab problem in India too. The Hindu hijab is called like the ghunghat. But in India, women don't wear ghunghat. They do it in ceremonies and things like that. But the amount of regress regression which was there, the regressive of regressive society, the regressive attributes of the society which was there uh, some decades ago are like totally gone in something. Ghunghat is one of I'll send it's you something fun. Say, tell me. The private chat. We're going to share this. Feminism or... Okay, hold on. Okay, let's look at this together. 
share screen. All right, what is this? <laughs> feminism or Islamism? So feminism in so this is by a Twitter account, feminism in India, and there's one tweet on the le left says World Hijab Day, for a Muslim woman who chooses to wear hijab, uh, stands as a, stands as a day when her choice is celebrated, when women from all over the world come together in solidarity forming a sisterhood, telling Muslim women that they are not alone, uh, free, in a, free in hijab. And the picture is World Hijab Day. So that's one tweet. There's another tweet on the right from the same account, Feminism in India, says, is Rat the identity? What is that? What is it's, that? It's like the Hindu, uh, Hindu women you wear sari, used to wear sari. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's like a veil which extends the sari and women are supposed to cover their head with that veil. It's called the Ghungat in India. Is the Ghungat uh, the identity of Haryana? Yes, right? it's an Indian state. Okay, practical control Patriarch. over a woman's Patriarchal. body. Patriarchal. Sorry. Patriarchal control over a woman's body and sexuality. Okay, so they're being hypocrites. They're celebrating yes. the hijab while they're being anti- they're saying that the okay, wow, what are, are is this real? Oh yes, this is a blue tick account. Like this is the like this is one of the exact reasons why Indutva is thing. But it is so funny. That, what else can I say? I just have to be careful because I've seen a lot of stuff like this made up, and then when you go check, it's not. It's real, all like yeah. It is so what true is that he... it is almost a joke in India. Yeah. I want to see the dates, like how far apart were these two tweets? Okay, yeah, let me see. Look and find things. them. Um, friendly but, Muslim, were you suggesting? Oh, go ahead. I wanted to talk about this only in the comments. The in the comments there was a comment that I'm so happy that the radical leftist gives Hindutva gives Hindutva such a bad time. But the thing is, Hindutva is programmed to win against the leftists and the and the Islamists. If you have to defeat Hindutva, like it is my advice, uh, it is my advice um, while being from Hindutva, you have to do it with rationality. You cannot do it with leftism. There is no way that you can defeat us with this. Yeah, yeah. No, leftism is what gives rise to Hindutva. So. Yes. Yeah. The only reason so. we are winning, more, like, there is like a joke in India. BJP in itself is a 140 to 130, 130 to 140 seat party. <laughs> Modi takes it to around 200. And the left brings it around to 303. So mm. That's the exact reason we win. Um, Soha is asking a question in the live chat. Soha is saying, what are your thoughts on USA taking out Ayman al-Zawahiri, al-Qaeda leader in the drone strike? Did you guys hear about this? Yes, yes. Can I? Yeah, apparently it happened in, in Kabul, right? When yeah. the women were protesting for the hijab in Karna, like in, in, the, in the Indian state of Karnataka, this guy said that we'll have to uh, announce jihad on India and we'll have to destroy India and things like that. And man died. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. I'm not happy on someone dying, but it is ironical. Wait, I'm happy that he died. Why? What's wrong with being happy that somebody died? Is he like a real terrorist? Yeah, I'm not. I'm an Azawari? Yeah. Okay, then I'm happy. Okay. I thought he was a Muslim cleric who was just killed. 
because of no, being a No, this is I'm an Azawari. This is a big deal. Um, oh. <laughs> friend of mother, do you think it's okay to be happy that somebody like this died? Or people say, like, they shouldn't be happy when somebody dies. I'm like, why not? Well, in India, you shouldn't be happy. Like, the thing is that when Osama bin Laden like, died and people started celebrating, there were some people who said they don't celebrate. And the second thing was that when Ajmal Kasab, the guy who killed like hundreds of people in the Taj Hotel during a terror attack, he was a Pakistani. He was executed in India. After giving up him a proper trial, he was uh, given a hanging sentence, death sentence. And when he died, the people were like stopped from celebrating because that could have uh, deteriorated the law and order situations in India. Okay. What about, what about you, friendly Muslim? Do you think it's okay to celebrate Sorry, someone's death? Can you, can you go through what he did? I just wanted to... Um... Okay. You, you were just on okay. it. Uh, just, yeah, if you can read through the story. Hold on. Okay. okay. The, the U.S. has killed the leader of Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawahiri, in a drone strike in Afghanistan, President Joe Biden has confirmed. He was killed in a counterterrorism operation carried out by the CIA in the Afghan capital, Kabul, on Sunday. He and Osama bin Laden plotted the 9-11 attacks together, and he was one of, the, uh, one of America's most wanted terrorists. Mr. Biden said Azawari had uh, carved a trail of murder and violence against American citizens. From hiding, uh, he coordinated Al Qaeda's branches and all around the, um, and all around the world, including setting prior, uh, priorities for providing operational guidance and calling for and inspired attacks against the U.S. Tar- against U.S. targets. The president said in a live television address from the White House. Now justice has been delivered and this terrorist leader is no more, he added. The FBI updated its most wanted terrorist poster on Monday with, Zahur, with Zawahiri's status as deceased. The 70-year-old um, Egyptian doctor took over Al-Qaeda after the death of bin Laden in 2011. Mr. Biden said he had given the final approval for the precision strike after months of planning. Officials said Zawahiri was on the balcony of a safe house when the drone fired two missiles at him. Uh, other family members were present, but they were unharmed and only Zawahiri was killed in the attack. Oh, good job. Not even, not, no collateral damage. Mr. Biden, uh, wait. Mr. Biden said Zawahiri's killing will bring clo- closure to families of the nearly 3,000 victims of the 2001 attacks in which hijackers crashed passengers into landmark buildings in New York and Washington, including two skyscrapers in Manhattan. Okay, so we know what happened in 9-11. Yeah, so I mean, you you know, if he's been, if justice has been served and a threat to humanity and innocent lives has been taken out, then yeah, the question answers itself, really. Yeah, yeah. What is the... What what take do you guys like? What is your take on sovereignty of a country? Like, isn't the um, sovereignty of Afghanistan breached when uh, CIA enters and kills these guys? Well, I mean, Taliban is not officially recognized as the what, government. What if it was done in Iran or somewhere else? Um, in Iran, I think if you want to carry that something like that in Iran, you might require. UN approval, I think. I think, like when they took out Qasem Soleimani in Iraq, it was within the framework of the Iraqi government 
to some extent allowing American troops to carry out operations in Iraq, right? I mean, they say that this was not one of them, uh, but to some extent, like, there was something to, there was some legal framework for that. But if you want to go to Iran and do something in Iran, because obviously Iran is not going to be happy with you allowing allowing the United States to do that, um, I don't know, like, I don't know. Actually, I'm, I, I have to think, think about it. if it's no, no, no. I think if it's taking out um, assets, you don't need permission from the U.S. I think if you need, if you're going to full on war, um, then you need to do it internationally with U.N. permission. But I think if you're just assassinating key figures or certain sites within Iran, you should be able to do that just willy nilly. Because you're talking about a country that is like it, it itself does not. Um, respect other countries' uh, sovereignty, right? So, yes. so it's meddling in other countries. So you're just defending yourself in that sense. Yes, I agree with it too. Because whenever these things happen, the the greater good which has happened after because of that person dying and the message going out that the USA or any like good country will come after you is much better than the losses which we have like in the losses which have incurred, which is like the sovereignty of some countries is not intact. If they are harboring terrorists, I mean, your sovereignty of the country of Iran should be challenged. I think, <laughs> like you, would, like you, I don't know, like you, because I mean, the sovereignty of Iran is being challenged by the government that is already there. You know what I mean? Like Iranians are um, are kind of hostages right now by their own government, right? So anything that challenges that is a good thing, in my opinion. So how many percent is, of the is Iranian there a number of the? I'm sorry. How, how many people? Are, what's the I population think. rate in Iran? Um, of like total population, and then how many you you would say are unhappy or would want? Okay, change? well, I, can, I have this. I have the stats. the The population is um, eighty two million, I think. Yes, it is eighty two million only. Yeah. So I'm going to bring them on, Paul, which uh, um, I know like Ibn Khaim doesn't like, but that's the only one we have to go by right now. So let's look at what that says, right? Iran's added to tourist political system, but that's not a survey report. All right, so we have Iran's attitudes, no, Iran's attitude to international relationship, Iran's, no, Iran's attitude to evictions, Iran's attitude to media, Iran's attitude towards the death penalty, Iran's attitude towards religion. Okay, I would just go with the political system, I guess, yeah. Let's look at what we have. Let me share the screen. Again, if Eben Khan, don't tell Eben Khan that I'm sharing this study because he doesn't like the study. Um, all right, so if we go here, uh, 33% of Iranians want a secular republic. 22% of Iranians want an Islamic republic, basically what we have right now, right? 19% uh, of Iranians want a constitutional monarchy. 3% of Iranians want an absolute mon monarchy. And 21% are saying not sufficiently in four plans. So I guess this, um, only 22% of Iranians want what we currently have right now. Like, even beyond that, the biggest chunk is secular republic, guys. 
Yeah, Secular Republic guys, we're we're number one. Yes, plus thirty three percent is a. It must be like a huge vote share there, there too. Are there no are there no elections in Iran? The elections are sham because like you have to. The candidates are um, are hand picked. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there are elections, but the there's the Guardian Council. Um, first have to evaluate whether the candidates are allowed. Like not everybody can be a candidate. Like if you were again ever said something that the, the government doesn't like, the Guardian Council bars you from becoming a candidate, right? So everybody that you're voting for is on the side of the regime. But the, so it's a fake that democracy. A very, that is a very big number because even Modi with all his popularity can only get 37% of the votes. Like thirty-three percent is very big number. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the, sec- the people who want secular republic. Some of these people are religious. You know oh. what I mean? Yes. Some of these people are like, yeah, we're like. Some there are some religious people in Iran who are like you have r- destroyed the reputation of Islam. So <laughs> when like they want they want religion out of government, not because they're anti-religion, but because they're like you have you have made Iranian people turn on Islam. Uh, so they want to save religion. It's not, you know, not everybody that wants religion out of government in Iran is anti-religion. Some of them are wanted for the sake of religion. They want religion out of government. What would a constitutional monarchy look like? What would constitutional monarchy, it kind of like the UK. Oh, so there would be a royal family that would just sort of be a, a representation of the people. So yeah, not, they, they want to. Well, they want to keep. Who would the who would the king be then? A descendant Reza of Pahl- the Reza Pahlavi. Reza Pahlavi here. Let me show you this guy. The, the the son of the former king. Basically, these are the people who want Reza Pahlavi back in power. They they kind of worship this guy, this guy. So this was the this was the last king of the Iran before the Islamic Revolution, and this is his son, right? Oh. So they so this was Muhammad Reza Pahlavi. Is he okay. the Shah of Iran? The guy who they call Shah of Iran. Yeah, this was the Shah of Iran. Okay. They want and the, the people who want a constitutional monarchy, they want this guy to come back to Iran and be the Shah of Iran. Does he have a son at all? Or next in line? No, he has daughters only. Okay, fine. Yeah, but he does he have Let's just say uh, he was. Um, does he have any offspring that could take over the the monarchy er. and heir to his throne? Yeah, heir, heir to his No, um, I mean, I guess we could have a queen. I guess I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Like, you know, this is like a dream. Like, like they're delusional. The people who are like thinking, like, there are a lot of Iranians that are convinced that the current regime will fall. And this guy that you're looking at is going to be the next Shah of Iran. Um, they're delusional. It's not going to happen. Does and, he work yeah. with any, any other parties or any political parties that sort of stand by him? Or okay. They could have he, a coalition. He, he himself, this man is himself, he says that he's more interested in a, a republic than a monarchy. Like he himself, the guy the monarchists want, <laughs> himself has lost. He says, like, the monarchists are, like, 
um, some to the thing of the past. Like we have moved to republics. You know what I mean? Like he himself doesn't believe in the monarchy, the monarchy system. Um, and he himself says that he's more like so. Basically, he's in this blue camp himself. He's not in this. Oh, actually, they're both blue. He's in the darker blue camp. He's a he's part of the secular republic people. The constitutional monarchies want to make him the king, but he's like one of us. But he but he also said that even though he himself is more interested in a republic rather than a monarchy, if the Iranian people um, want a monarchy, like if they if there's a referendum and they choose a monarchy, he will be okay with it. But he himself said that he doesn't want to be involved. So I don't know who like there's no other alternative to make a king. Well, he might want to adopt you as a potential. (laughs) 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 Okay, sure. Um, Wait, let me see. D had a question, but let me actually see if anybody has anything about Pahlavi. Um, Somebody, uh, Cameron is saying Pahlavi is no good for Iran. I mean, to be be honest, the Pahlavi dynasty has been the, the previous two... Uh, Shahs have been very good for Iran. Like they've managed to uh, be a giant leap forward for Iran when it comes to education, infrastructure, economics. Politically, they were like, kind of backwards because they were both dic- dictators. But other than that, oh, by the way, um, there. So there's Reza Pahlavi and then Muhammad Reza Pahlavi and then Reza Pahlavi again, right? So there's only there were only two kings in the Pahlavi dynasty, right? The first one was very anti-Islamic. I don't know if you know that. Like anti-Islamic. Um, he, the first Pahlavi uh, Shah made hijab illegal in public in Iran. Did you know that, friendly Muslim? Really? Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. In public, so, it was illegal. Yeah. They had literally people going off and taking women's hijabs off. So Iran went from a country within one generation from being the only country in the world that made hijab illegal, even in public, to at some point being the only country in the world where made hijab mandatory, even in public, even for non-Muslims. Like within one generation. Yeah, it's always one extreme to the other. Someone was saying this, (laughs) I don't know who said it, but like where you go to an extreme at one end, then you'll find the opposite party and people will change and it will swing the opposite direction. You know, and again, now you're seeing the other swing where it's like, oh, well, now it's been made mandatory and people don't like it, they want to swing back the other way. Whereas if you just sort of gave people the choice, then, you know, they would do it out of love and, uh, you know, something that they they would honour. So, you know, that's the way it probably should be, middle ground. Idris is saying, didn't the first Pahlavi want a republic as well? I mean, the way I understood it is that he's the one who basically ended the con- uh, the constitutional revolution, the Angalabi Mashrute. So he kind of ended the whole, um, like, the Pahlavis, the two Pahlavis were really good for the economy and for infrastructure and for, for education. But when it comes to politics, they were... They took Iran backwards in that area. Like they were, became more, they were more authoritarian. Like Iran seemed like it was going towards becoming a republic, uh, with the, you know, um, and the two Pahlavis actually like became more of a dictator than what Iran was seemed, seeming to be 
they changed the direction of the political freedom that Iran had. And, but that's the area that they didn't do good, a good job. But other than that, they were good. Like, yeah, Qasem is saying Pahlavi is not the best for Iran, but still better than the Islamic Republic. Yeah, exactly. Relatively to Islamic Republic, they were really, really good. Um, so I was saying, wait, KP is saying three Pahlavis. No, yeah, three Pahlavis, but two of them were king. This, the last one never got to be king, right? So we had only two Pahlavi kings. So I was saying King Armin Navabi, that's right. Mirjalal is saying, Armin, what are the three things you would do if you became the leader of Iran besides the fighting religions? I actually wouldn't be fighting religion. If I was, um, the lead, if I was in politics, I would stop fighting religion because that would be anti-secular, right? Like if I was in power, like as an activist, I would fight religion, but I don't think it's any government's business to fight religion. I would be any government that fights religion, I would fight that government because I'm like, this is none of your business. You should stay out of religion, right? I wouldn't be just, I am against governments pushing for religion, but I'm also against governments pushing against religion. They should like, secularism means, secularism doesn't mean a government fights religion. Secularism means a government stays out of religion. Um, so, okay, what do we do? D's question. What? D had a good question. Wait, I will. Oh, yeah, D had a good question. I, yeah, yeah, I will read it. But let me actually answer Jim Jalo. Oh, yeah, I forgot D's question. Thank you for reminding me. Idris also has a question, but I will do uh, three things I would do. First of all, if I was their leader in Iran, I would open the economy to foreign investments, right? I would end the nuclear ambitions of Iran. I would like scrap it completely. We don't need nuclear energy. Um, I was, and I will stop. I will bring all the Iranian military forces back to within Iran, Iran's borders. I will stop getting involved in other countries like Lebanon, Iraq, and Syria, and Yemen. Um, and I will tell, you know, you know, we will make an announcement that Iran is open for business. The, you know, it's open for investment, it's open for trade, and it's open for normal relationships with the rest of the world. Those are the things I would do. Okay, let's go to D. D is saying, people often message me about how America is responsible for all the world's problems. How would you respond? I would say, like, that's very American-centric. <laughs> so, like, there are two types of American-centric people. Uh, the American-centric people who think that everything that good, hap uh, good that happens in the world is because of America, and people who think that everything bad that bad happens in the world is because of America. To be fair to both sides, they, it is true that America is among all the countries in the world is responsible for the most amount of good and the most amount of evil at the same time, simply for being a superpower. But like it's not that black and white. Like there's you know leftists uh, seem to think like everything that happens that is wrong about the world is because of America. But again, I do think America today is responsible for the most amount of evil and the most amount of good. I'm not being as absolutist as the leftists, but does, do you think that's fair, uh, friend of Muslim, saying United States is responsible for the most amount of good and the most amount of evil? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to actually scale it. And if you, you know, to get a proper assessment, if you're giving a vague answer, I suppose you could say yes. But then... They've also solved other governments from doing evil acts also. 
and protected, yeah. you know, countries from, you know, further. You don't hear the stuff that they've protected the world against, also. So, yeah, you know, it it goes both ways, I suppose. But yeah, it's yeah, a balanced I mean, you, answer. Yeah, I think United States is the country that is responsible for the internet, which saved a lot of people. Was responsible for the most amount of medicine, which saved a lot of people around the world, right? Um, science and technology leads, you know, that lift the science and technology that has lifted the entire world and a lot of people out of poverty comes out of the United States, right? It's the country that shows up first um, when there's a natural disaster somewhere. It's the United States that shows up first with the most amount of resources and the country that leaves the last, right? So those are the good thing the United States does, right? Uh, but also, United States is also because of it being a superpower. Um, every time it does a mistake, it um, it causes them more misery than any other country, right? For example, the oopsie that they did in Iraq it causes so much suffering, right? Or in Vietnam, or in Cambodia, in right? Libya, in Libya too. Or Libya, yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, it's just the nature of being a superpower. When you do good things, it's just you do more good than any other country. And when you do bad things, you do more bad than any other country. You just have a lot more weight to throw around, right? Yeah, and then you have to look at the other superpowers and what they've contributed. So then Russia, China, you know, where are their contributions to uh, global evolution? And, you know, that can be argued that Russia fell apart. Um, and their interests don't coincide with, you know, a united front with everybody, and uh, then also with China. So, again, you know, you've got to give America credit for the good things it's done, also, um, and being a superpower. Dee actually has the best answer herself to her own question. Dee is saying, "I usually try to get them to break it down to specific conflicts we can discuss." Yeah, instead of like having general things about, oh, United States is like evil or good, like. You have to be more specific. Like, can you talk about which policy or which action by which, like, because United States is not just one person, okay? It's a, it's a lot of different institutions and a lot of different people and a lot of different interest groups sometimes that move in direct opposition to each other. So you cannot just come up with a judgment on an entire country, right? You can never say Israel is good or bad, United States is good or bad, like, which part, which action, which people, what, you know, like you, you have to judge them separately. Very good response, Steve. Um, what, like, what do you think is the worst thing that America has done? The worst thing in America, like, wouldn't it be the uh, atomic bomb in Japan? Yes. Isn't that I think the atomic bomb and the destruction of the dam in Libya. The destruction of dam in Libya? How many people did that kill? Uh, it didn't kill many people directly, but it was a dam which was used, supposed to supply water to the, almost all of the all of Libya. I think I think a very huge population and got that. that I was think the they did worse. I think they did a lot worse in Cambodia compared to that. To what they did in Libya. I, I just heard this one about Libya when I was watching a documentary. I don't know everything about the USA, of course. Mm. Oxymoron saying no, it was necessary. What was necessary? The atomic bomb or the Libya dam? Um, okay, there's two questions by Idris, and then we should end this here. It is saying, have you seen the latest video on the Iranian famine of World War II by the 
channel the great war no um i should i should look it up the what is it what is the channel called great war the great war Iraq. Japan needed to a war on the same Japan needed to be bombed to stop the war at least the first one. I don't think so. It was mostly a power bluff to show it to the Soviet Union that we can do this. Okay, but okay, so I understand that a lot of people say that if the atomic bombs were not dropped, there would be more people killed. Okay, I understand that. Okay, because if the atomic bombs were not dropped, the war would have continued. And potentially, the, if the war continued, the people who have died during the war would have been significantly higher than the people who died from the atomic bomb. However, that was not the reason why the United States dropped the bomb. Okay. Yes. The you know that you're oxymoron. You're talking hindsight. With hindsight, you can say what you're saying. Okay. The United States dropped the atomic bomb to show that they first of all they wanted to test their bombs. Second of all. Um, it was in retaliation to Pearl Harbor. They weren't like, they weren't making a humanitarian, like a, a utilitarian calculation or like, okay, we don't really want to drop these bombs because we, let, we don't want to kill Japanese people. But if we kill these Japanese people, we're going to be able to save more Japanese people. I don't, that was not the calculation. Okay. They were like, no, let's do maximum damage. So, yeah, I don't think, I mean, effectively, maybe it ended up working that way, but that was not the intention. Oxymoron is saying at least one nuclear bomb was very necessary. Don't know about the second one. Again, you're thinking, you're thinking in hindsight. In hindsight, um, it might seem like that, but that was not the goal. The goal was like, these atomic bombs are like, <laughs> they wanted to use it on Germany, but the war ended too soon. I was like, damn it, we wanted to use these bombs. So they got this chance because of Pearl Harbor, like they, they eventually got to test them. Um, but also it was because of Pearl Harbor. Edris is saying, oh, the World War II channel. Okay, so it was World War II channel. I need to, can you send this to me? Is there a channel called World War Two? I can't even. There's when I search for World War Two, like so many things show. Let me just search for channels. Yeah, I can't. There's just so many world. Like, what a bad name for a channel, World War Two channel. Like, so there's so much, so many things on YouTube named World War Two. Like, it's gonna be really hard for me to find that. Anyways. Oh, thank you, Andres. Yeah, Imran is saying this is like a trolley problem. Killing some to save others isn't necessarily the right thing to do. Okay, but they weren't even doing the trolley problem. They were like, the Americans were not like, oh, let's save Japanese people by jumping these bombs. They weren't, that's not what they were thinking. Anyways, I need to go soon because I'm sick. Oh, here. Last question. Oh, yeah. What are you saying, friendly Muslim? You want to say something? Yeah, no, no, Karen, Karen, go. No, no, go ahead. You want to say something? No? Okay. Uh, Ed is saying, Armin, will you send your followers on uh, Secular Love Jihad? Secular Love Jihad? Hmm. Secular Love Jihad. What would that be like? 
Okay, what, yeah, sure. Where a and, atheists try to love Muslims is that what we're trying to do? No, that's not what <laughs> came across to... my mind. I think I think what what came across my mind is that Muslim Muslims and Hindus and Christians and Jews would send me the best looking woman, okay, uh, for me to have sex with. Is that what that means? Secular object. Is that I think I've, I've, I would be into that. Oh no, my followers. Okay. Yeah, you send followers. your followers. <laughs> ah, now it's ah. a different story. So you send mm. your best looking women to the Muslims. Is that what we're saying? And the Christians and the no, Jews and the I, but but the thing is that we uh, we secularists don't have control over like we don't we don't get to tell our women what to do. Okay, it's the Muslims and the Hindus. Uh, oh, so uh, you that, think we could just send our women over to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You own yeah, like they're they're kind of yeah, you kind of like treat them like property. So you could just be like, okay, here's a gift to Atheist Republic, okay? When it comes to secular side, we don't have that. We can't, we don't treat our women like property. So we can't tell them to just like go and have sex with you, okay? So. Yeah, I don't think that would work on, on, on our side <laughs> either, my friend. <laughs> I think you'd get divorced quite quickly if you suggested that. <laughs> Honey, let's go and convert but, some atheists, you know. Can you, no, no. I you. was thinking. I was thinking of like we could like just come after your woman. You know what? We don't. You don't have to send it to us. We'll we'll, we'll just come after your woman, and we'll think, just convert them with love. I think you're saying something that's very sexist, and I think you need to chastise yourself for these. <laughs> How is it sexist? <laughs> having having what, sex the, with women is sexist. That women can be sent over to please you know a secular jihadist. Is that what you're saying? No, I, we don't do I mean, that. I, I, maybe they guys, don't. Like, Look, I can't I'm, do that. I mean, you, you may no, not. We don't do that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, not say, I'm, I'm not saying we were going to do that. I'm saying that Islam and Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism is misogynist enough to be able to do that. Like, we don't endorse it, but we know they're capable of it. <laughs> do you think, do you think, as a secularist, that this would be the same thing as you accepting? That would happen in the first place. That'd be misogynistic. You should be like, no, no, never ever would that thought cross my mind that you would send your women over to us. We would never stand for something like that. No, no, I'm completely supporting that because we will save them. Okay, we'll, we'll just they're like... happy. Hmm? See, why do you always presume the negative? Like some people are actually happy. <laughs> like you always like you know why do I, I need they... saving? It's like when a Christian <laughs> says to me, "I need to save you, brother." No, I'm good, thank you. No, no, but really, I really need to save you. No, I'm fine, thank you. You know, I'm good. We're great. I'm fine. Yes. You know, I, 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 I've got no problems. I think nobody. many times we do that to like in democracies. We think that people of North Korea are somehow very much like uh, sad with Kim Jong-un. and But the thing is, I don't know whether, whether the people are sad or happy or in what mood they are. It might be possible yeah, that they are happily with their bubble, that North Korea is everything no. and our supreme leader is everything. No, no, and no, when no. you break no, people, that bubble... That's bullshit. People in North Korea are not happy. That's nonsense. How do you know? Um, because people like to eat. People... <laughs> People like to be able to, you get happiness from having control over your life, from having some de certain degree of autonomy, you know, from not seeing your children suffer, from having to certain level access to certain level of healthcare and comfort. These are things that we know bring happiness in someone's life. And you don't have that in North Korea, so people are not happy. 
But uh, for any Muslim, I don't. Um, I was, you know, I was mostly joking. But I don't. Um, but to be more serious, um, it doesn't make sense for you not to be for saving, because aren't you like, aren't you like, isn't dawah is something that you're against, like Islamic dawah, like inviting people to Islam? You think that's a bad thing to do? I mean, I can send you an invite to my party. You don't have to accept the invite. It may not be yeah, a but, type of party. But some people... Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but... Okay, I know, but, like, technically, technically, I would... If Islam is true, me becoming a Muslim would be me being saved. Yeah, but I can only invite you. I know what... And I'm not saying about what you can do, Okay. If I accept if I accept your invitation, you have saved me if Islam is true. Are you happy to be saved? Well, I mean, that's irrelevant to what I'm saying. Like for example, I think like I'm already saved because I left left Islam, okay? But I'm saying I understand the counter narrative the other point of view. Like I accept the fact that if Islam is true, to be saved is to convert to Islam. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Like, if Islam is not true, to be saved is to leave Islam. And if Islam is true, to be saved is to become a Muslim. There's nothing wrong with saying that. The problem is the truth to some people is completely subjective. Like, I spoke recently to a... Uh, the truth is not subjective. No, no. Well, okay. So, for example, I just spoke to a Christian who was an atheist. And I said, why did you become a Christian like you know you were completely an atheist and he said I had an experience I experienced God and that is my truth and nothing will ever change that and therefore that is why I'm a Christian and that was his re reason for it so I well, can that's argue nonsense. with that well, that's nonsense. <laughs> what do you mean that's nonsense like I have to I have to then impose it and say that that's rubbish that's how is it imposing when you disagree with somebody? Like, you guys have a very low standard for what imposing means. Like, throughout history, we were like, religion was forced on us, but, but the, on, you know, people were burned alive. People's heads were cut off. People were tortured, okay? And now we're like, somebody says like, hey, Christianity is awesome. And we're like, no, it's not. I'm like, why are you imposing your views on me? Like, chillax, man. Like, I'm just telling you that you're wrong. How is that imposing? You don't have to listen to me. Okay. Like, what is that imposing? Like, what am so, I imposing? I'm just so, telling you about my disagreement with you. Okay, fine. So let's now we'll go to the next step. But I go, okay, well, why do you believe that it's it's better for you? And why has it impacted your life? And he said to me, well, before I had this experience, I was gambling, I was drinking, I had no self-value, and I had this experience. And now, you know, I, I've stopped drinking. I've become a better person. I'm communicating better with my family. My life is happier. I've got structure in my life. I found something to 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 be happy for. Okay, fine. Yeah. Compared to religion, yeah, religion takes advantage of the most vulnerable people in society. That's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a that, okay. So this this ideology has helped this particular in individual. And if they're yeah. happy and they are, they feel that they are better towards society, then yeah. is that wrong? I mean, the idea is wrong. I'm not saying that we should force them not to. Like, it, it's kind of like you're saying, like, hey, I believe 
um, that there are fairies in my underwear drawer. And these fairies, I don't know, at night when I'm sleeping, they come and they, you know, they give me an orgasm every night. And I love it. And I feel that orgasm with all my, with all my body. I feel it. Like, I know it's real. Okay. And this, I, I just love these well, wait, I yeah. love these fairies and hold on, let me, let me finish. Okay. And it's, it, this is my reality and it's true. And it's just, is making my life a lot better because I believe in these fairies, right? I mean, this person is having an experience that he likes, but I'm not going to say, I can still say it's nonsense, right? Just because this person is enjoying this nonsensical viewpoint, it doesn't mean that it's not nonsense. It's still nonsense. Right. Okay. So, okay, fine. So, okay. I think that's nonsense. Let's just say, um, yeah. are, are you harming anybody or do you feel like you're harming yourself with this experience that you're having every night? Well, I think on average, false beliefs have a net negative effect on society and individuals. Right. So you, if you go be like, Hey, look at this isolated uh, situation where this uh, nonsensical viewpoint is having a positive effect on this person's life. That is just like being very narrow-minded, right? On average, if people's beliefs are the the farther people's beliefs are from reality, uh, the more harmful their decisions are going to be to themselves and to society. On average, an individual that has a belief system that is closer to reality is a more as an individual that is more equipped to achieve its his or her goals. And the same same is true about a society. A society that has people with belief systems that are closer to reality is a society that could progress better and faster. Okay, so is there any statistical data that would support your argument or is this your thought? Oh no, there's a lot of there's a lot of statistics that shows like people an educated population or people that are more informed um, make better decisions and are better for democracy, better for progress, better for so yeah, but it's also no, there's a lot of data that shows this, but it's also quite intuitive. But it's both, there's both, you know, like if it's kind of like your belief system is like a map, okay? Uh, and reality is like a world out there, right? Like if, if I have, let's say, for example, you have a map and I have a map, okay? And your map has the forest in the right place, it has the river in the right place, it has the mountain in the right place, okay? But my map, it's not exactly, your map is not exactly accurate, but it's pretty accurate, okay? My map is like completely random. Everything is in the wrong place. Okay. And then you go look for your treasure and I go look for my treasure using my map. You're more likely to find your treasure than I am. Okay. There are situations where even with my crappy map, I might like stumble on a treasure just by chance. Okay. But on average, the person with a more accurate map or the person with a more accurate belief system is going to be able to achieve more and be you know, more prosperous and it's the same for individual and a society. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, if you go and find anecdotes, that is not like you say, you're asking me if I have any studies, do you have any, like you're giving me anecdotes. You're giving examples of certain individuals that their lives have become better. Also, by the way, another thing that you have to show is that this person with religion, again, religion has, is not just helping uh, people it's helping people at the expense of other mm, methods of helping people right so religions have in many countries and many places have monopolized community building and mental health support right so 
if you took religion away, the this because religion has such a monopoly over these industries that it doesn't competing with it is very difficult. But if you didn't have these, um, it would the gap would be filled with better, more scientific, more secular ways to help people who might be drug addicts or gang members. Like when we when we look at um, some of the most atheistic countries in the world, they're not people are not becoming more addicted or joining gangs because there's no there's no church that will save them from such a life. There are better alternatives for them to avoid such a lifestyle, right? So religion pretend like provides a service, um, but and removes the competition to it, and it pretends like if you, if it's if you take it away, there will be no these people would be without hope and without an alternative to be able to better their lives. But the alternative is usually better if religion was not. Um, it's being so unfair when it comes to competing with these alternative, it would just you would see how superior the other, the more secular methods in helping people are. Um, I'd love to talk about this more depth, but I'd love to know if you've got any studies that you could email me just so I'm aware because I, I like learning these things from you. Um, like if there's something I'm not aware of, then you know, there's some information I'd love to get understand it more. Yeah, okay. Anyway, Satya, you wanted to say something? Yes. Let's make this the last thing because I want to... The fun thing about the discussion was that friendly Muslim was sounding like a Hindu and you were sounding like a Muslim or a Christian. Because <laughs> this whole truth, this objective thing is a very, very Hindu thing. Hmm. Yeah, no, no. It's just because uh, I spoke to this guy and I... Because obviously we spoke to uh, uh, Khalil last week and he has a very rational reason for his atheism to Islam. Uh, whereas this atheist I spoke to had a, a an experience, and he's very firm on the fact that he has had this experience, which has led him to uh, his belief system. So again, uh, and again, I'm also even understanding people's personal belief systems, uh, where it comes to gender, and why they believe they are a certain gender, etc. So again, I'm I'm interested in understanding people's minds and how it works, and you know the differences that we have. But also uh, seeing where we have things in common. Darko in the live chat is saying studies. You need studies to figure out reality is good for you and good for society. <laughs> so that's what Darko is saying. Yeah, Darko, you know, it, Darko yeah. Uh, I, I want, we were talking about religion um, specifically. So that's what I was talking about. So that's, uh, that's what the TF it's about. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is that yeah. whenever I th hear this argument, I might be wrong, but the thing is that these countries which are atheistic in population, and like have usually atheist population, they are developed in the first place. They, they were developed due to industrialization and the benefits of capitalism. And it looks like they're the capital, it looks like capitalism has done all the hard work and atheism is getting the credit for it. I don't know what an atheist third world country would look like. Atheism does not claim credit for anything. Atheism is just an answer to one question, which is the right answer. Like, is there, do you believe in God? No. Okay. Which is the right answer. Okay. And it's just the reason why it's superior is because of any other answer that are correct would be superior. Have like, you not, not seen any atheist who claim that Sweden is good because there is a lot of atheistic population there? And if everybody becomes atheist, then suddenly America no, no. will have. Yeah, well, that's. 
I don't I don't care what the atheists are saying because that's that's a that's like they're claiming that correlation means causation. Okay. Yes. I'm just saying. Again, yeah, I'm not saying that. Okay. Uh, these other the only thing these Scandinavian countries show is that if athe an atheistic country is not necessarily a bad one, it doesn't show that it's necessarily a better one because again, um, correlation does not prove causation, right? Um, but that's but the point is that. Um, atheism is just one answer to one question, okay? And because it's the correct answer, having that answer will give you better results than a false answer. But that's true with any other answer. Like, for example, in the same way that if you say, you know, hand, hand reading, right? Hand reading okay. is like nonsense, right? If you say, does hand reading work? If you answer no, that answer is the correct answer. Right, and it's superior to the yes answer, right? And in the same way, having that no answer means that you are more in touch with reality, and a society that believes that more over the yes answer is a society that is more in touch with reality, and on average, you would expect a society that is more in touch with reality to perform better. You're not giving it all the credit. You just you're just this. This is not an extraordinary claim. The claim is more correct answers, more better beliefs. Beliefs that are more in line with reality serves society, societies, and individuals better. It's pretty simple. Yes, I would like to point out three things. Like, there's one thing which I would like to point out, and the second one is, an, is a question. So, in India, there are these train, there are these train compartments in which you don't get a reservation for your seat. You just get a ticket, and you have to find the seat for yourself, and it might be full. So, if you go in and say that I can read your palms, then you are definitely going to get a seat because a person will get up and show you his hand, his or her hand, to the, like tell me what my what my fortune is. So, like that's a very good thing in India uh, for the ones who can. Well, yeah, like really smart and you have just have to tell two or three things one is that uh, you think a lot second is that you don't get the proper results for your hard work and there was a third thing these three things are universal and <laughs> if you tell this to anyone you will think that it's true and it's uh, it's like a miracle hmm. and the question i had is what do you think about controlled theism because in india we have a lot of people who are like even i for example i don't believe in god i don't think there is any god but in some in some very specific situations like when i'm ill so for that period of time i i know that i'm suspending my rationality but i like to suspend that rationality because that is easy but just yeah but you, you're doing it but i think that's fine because you're doing it knowingly you know what i mean yes you're doing it knowingly you know like if you are if you're suspending your rationality you know that what you're doing is not rational so i don't see any harm in it because it's like it's completely controlled. Like you're just saying the words or doing the acts that makes you feel better. You know what I mean? Like, mom, yep. for example, when my mom got cancer, so, so, when my mom was, yeah. Sorry, yes? you you were saying something more important. No, carry on, bro. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. I was saying like when my mom was like suffering from cancer right, right before, like a couple of days before she died. You know, a couple of weeks before she died from cancer. Um, I remember one time entering her hospital room and she quickly tried to hide what she was listening to. And I was like, what are you, what is, what are you listening to? And she said she was listening to the Azan, uh, the Islamic call after prayer. And she was like, she looked at me like, Armin, I know it's bullshit, but it's helping me so it's helping, it helps me with my pain. And I was like, oh, well, listen, to, why are you, why are you ashamed? Like she looked like she was ashamed of me that she was listening to the Azan. 
I don't like it's helping you with your pain. Listen to it. Why would you be ashamed of that? Like, I didn't understand. Yeah. Like, it was so sad that my mom was like <laughs> embarrassed that she was listening to that song. It was so cute. Oh. This is like anyway. just a very big thing in India. Like, even people who don't believe in God really like the temples and the songs. There is a there is a very liberal guy who is like the biggest liberal YouTuber in India. And whenever he comes to India, he will definitely make one vlog where he's visiting a temple. I yeah. think the new, new liberals in India can definitely give like a fight to Hindutva because the old ones are so bad. There is a liberal in India who, <laughs> who is like so anti-Hinduism. I don't know whether he's anti-Hindu or not, but he's so anti-Hinduism that whenever he has to like point out the bad things about rebirth, he says that it is a Hindu concept. And whenever he has to like use it in poetic manner and to tell that, say that, uh, I was reborn in this day because I came to the realm of social media. Then he says that no Buddhism is a Buddhist concept. I saw, sorry, sorry, rebirth is a Buddhist concept. Hmm. Things like these I, are like helping us so yeah. much. No, I think if you know that it's not, it's not true, then it's not harmful. If you know, it's like Santa Claus or Harry Potter. You're just like doing it for, for emotional reasons. Friendly Muslim, you want to say something? I need to go because I'm really. Yeah, no, no, that, 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 that's fine. Thank you for. No, no, you wanted to say uh, something. I wanted no, no, to hear what no, 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 that, that, that's fine, bro. Um, okay. I want you to heal up and, and get better, and I'm, I'm sorry about your mother. Yes. Bro. Um, oh, no. Sarve Bhavantasukina is like a, like a Sanskrit prayer, which means uh, let the world be at peace and let everyone be happy. Oh, okay. That's nice. Bye. All right, bye guys. I'm going to go and try to sleep for 10 hours so I could heal. But thank you. All right. Sleep. Oh, you, thank you, Axel. All right, guys. Bye. Bye bye. bye.